Welcome to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope this podcast encourages you, challenges you, and furthers your relationship with God in a whole new way. Enjoy this week's message. Good morning, everybody. (laughs) That was great worship. That was fantastic. Thank you for leading us, worship team. So, um... Today, uh, you know, during worship and as I've prepared for the week, I've been thinking a lot about this message. Um, and in your notes, it, the title is just, What is Vulnerability? Very simple. Um, but most, like most spiritual things, it's on the surface seems simple, but if you really take it in and go deep, it's, it's not as simple. It's, it's rather complicated. And hence why we need a Savior <laughs> to help us through this. But I've just been thinking a lot about Calvary and who we are. And uh, the, thing, the thing that specifically keeps coming up in my mind over and over is when Pastor G would have us stand and read the message. And then he uh, would say, you can, stand, you can continue to stand like me, something along those lines. And that always made me laugh. And I do miss that and uh, look forward to when Pastor G and Pastor Yolanda can, can return. Um, but to the, to the point of that, the reason why I share that is because um, we are Calvary Life. Pastor G is our senior pastor and leads the vision, but that vision can't happen without us. So though they are not here, we are here, so we can continue. Um, so today we're going to talk about vulnerability, um, discuss, think about, wrestle with, um, I believe God wants us to press into this idea of vulnerability. Um, this message was born out of current, our current own church experience, the tragedy that our church has felt, and more to the point, specifically the lives of our beloved pastor, Gwenmar, and Pastor Yolanda. So this message, in part, is for them, as well us. Um, so today I want to suggest that vulnerability is key to the lived-out success in our daily lives to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And second, of course, to love our neighbor as ourselves. I would personally dare to say that without vulnerability, we cannot walk um, and live out the courage that God calls us to and Jesus Christ modeled for us. Uh, Together, we will seek the scriptures and test whether this is true or not. So first thing, we're going to uh, look and discuss, we're going to talk about what is a right and proper view of vulnerability. Um, our culture, our society, even in church, we tend to have double, triple, quadruple meanings for certain words. So let's get real clear about what we mean when we say vulnerability. We all, have, we all bring our own backstory to the way we communicate. <clears throat> Second, we're going to take a look at Scripture, because that's what we're going to do <laughs> every time, and as you should do. Um, we're, going to t- uh, we're going to look at Scripture. What does Scripture teach us about vulnerability and, and how to live a courageous and faithful life? And third, we're going to take a look at the world and how they present vulnerability and how sometimes maybe because we live in the world, it's easy to be distracted and the world tends to creep in. And we, we, we don't realize that we're 
we're modeling the world, but we're also trying to model Christ, and it gets very confusing. So we're going to look at what the world says about vulnerability. So we can, my hope is so that we can separate the two and go, okay, that's what the world says, but this is what God says, and we're going to go this direction. Okay. Uh, my hope is by the end of our time together, the Holy Spirit will teach us that to be vulnerable in our daily lives is key to living a life of courage, faithfulness, worship, and evangelism. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to um, be a steward of this uh, stage, um, to be able to take a moment and uh, present what you have for this congregation. Take a moment so that our pastor can rest, our pastors can rest and heal and get refocused. Um, thank you, God, that you have given me a word to speak to this congregation. And I do pray that the hearts and the minds of the people watching, the people sitting here, um, can be taught by you, God, by the Holy Spirit. And we can come together as one body and one faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Okay, first, let's try to, let's work on having a right and proper understanding of vulnerability. Let's look at how the word is used in our daily lives. Vulnerability has been defined as uncertainty, having a feeling of risk. You know, you ever take a risk and you kind of feel like, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to do this? Um, and emotional exposure. So when you have to have a hard conversation with someone, or even a good one. Sometimes, you know, I want to share something great with somebody, but I don't want to come off like a crazy person, you know, because I'm so excited. So that's being vulnerable. But definitely, vulnerability makes it possible for us to be physically or emotionally wounded. Someone may be vulnerable at a time when they are nervous, maybe at a job interview, or maybe at an audition for a play. I know uh, in the past when I was younger and I, would, I had to audition for choir, I was freaking out. I didn't even want to do choir, but they're like, you're doing something. So I had to audition for that. Uh, I know that for myself, I continue to run into times when I feel vulnerable at my job. Uh, for example, so I'm a teacher, um, and contrary to popular belief, I do not know everything or every aspect of history, although my students think I do, just because I'm the teacher. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were studying, because it's the end of the year, we're, we're talking about the stuff that's happened in the 20th century, we come across the Russian Revolution, what happened in 1917, when the Russians were like, we're done with World War I, we're going to go do our own thing. I could not for the life of me remember the guy who led that revolution. So I had to Google it. <laughs> In front of that, I was, I even spelt his name like John Lennon, because it's, it's Vladimir Lenin, but spelled L-E-N-I-N, I spelled it L-E-N-N-O-N. It was very, I, I, I was very vulnerable in front of my class, and I finally had to say, look, I'm not perfect. Um, I know that my daughters walk in a state of vulnerability with, with in their lives. We have conversations and we talk about this. They live in an ever-changing world. I don't want to sound old, but when I was growing up in the 80s, though things were changing, they were not like today. Things change at a warp speed pace, and they are they come home exhausted and tired and trying to figure this out and wrestle through with it. They're very vulnerable in these times. It is very hard for teenagers to navigate through com the complexities of our culture. 
and maintain a sense of moral worth and positivity. I'm not trying to make a political statement here. I'm just observing, I'm just observing our culture. You can just stand back and watch, and you'll see this. Also, myself, uh, this, this uh, last Saturday, yesterday, <laughs> uh, was the four-year anniversary of the passing of my father. It also was the 41st birthday of a dear friend of mine who was killed in a car accident with his wife two years ago. The anniversaries are always the hardest. You know, I, I think about them all the time. I remember the birthday. I remember my father. Uh, I remember being able to say goodbye to my father on those anniversaries. Um, and I, f- I feel their absence. I feel his, my father's absence. I feel my friend's absence. We were very close friends. There's a group of us that are very close, and when we lost him, he was the youngest of us, too. Um, I'm more vulnerable on those days than others. There's no greater feeling of loss and mental anguish than the loss of a beloved one. The vulnerability exists beyond emotions. It exists beyond emotion, beyond physicality. It's felt on the level of the soul. There's something missing now. Um, my hope is that when we are in the presence of the Father, that missingness will be complete. I'll be made complete. I'll be made whole. But this is the hope we have, right? Our hope is that that will happen. It's going to happen. Although the world wants to be protected from vulnerability, it is in times of vulnerability that we experience growth and change. I will never forget who Vladimir Lenin is again. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) So let us now turn to the New Testament and read how Scripture presents vulnerability in the lives of those written about in the New Testament. First, we'll look at Matthew 5. You don't need to turn there. You can write this. If you look at your notes, they're listed. You can go back and reflect on them on your own time or on the time that you have set aside for Christ and meditation. Uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus introduces us to the Beatitudes. So this, the Beatitudes is a, f- I, I cannot express the greatness of this sermon. Um, he lays it out for us. Um, and it wasn't until recently that I was like, oh, he laid this out for us. I was reading a book about the Beatitudes, and I just thought, this is profound. This is amazing. If we had this teaching alone, um, our lives would be amazing here on earth. But, of course, we needed the sacrifice and the resurrection, so our lives would be amazing for eternity. Anyway, he introduces us to the uh, Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the, I wanted to share a little, little Bible quiz. Uh, this reminds me, do you know what the word Beatitudes means? It means both happy and blessed. So when you read the Beatitudes, and Beatitude, who uses that word? We don't use that word. I'm so Beatitude today. I'm so blessed Beatitude. No, we don't. So it's good to take those words that we take for granted in our everyday Christian lives and break them apart and figure out what is God, what is God Jesus, trying to say to us. He's trying to say, if you want to be happy, blessed are the meek. They will inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be happy, then be humble, be meek. So he, and he goes on, right? Uh, so what we can take from this powerful message that Jesus delivered to us is a kind of guide on how to be happy. 
With that in mind, let's look at the first beatitude, Matthew 5.2. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This verse explains that if you are spiritually happy, you should be devoid of spiritual arrogance. Those who regard themselves as insignificant, if you do this, then the kingdom of heaven will be yours now and forever. So, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about a scripture in James. And James, this book, does two major things. One, it says faith without works is just whatever. I mean, you've got to, it's both. It's not if and, it's both. And also, he teaches us uh, how to treat each other. You know, he goes, he, he, he spends a lot of time talking about if a rich person comes in, don't give them preference, right? Don't, you know, rich person comes in, a person who maybe lives on the street comes in. Why would we give the rich person preference? Um, and this happened very early in the church. You can read that in Corinthians. This was becoming a problem. You see the world creeping into the church even in the first century. I don't know what you think of when you read the scriptures, but I think that if I want to be happy in this life, I need to take a posture of vulnerability towards others, a posture of humility towards the world and especially God. Again, we can read in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, when Paul writes, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave. So Paul, this, like he wrote most of the New Testament. He was a missionary everywhere, plant, planted countless church, discipled church leaders who would end up becoming bishops, or like a bishop in that time was someone who was over a bunch of different churches, okay? Did phenomenal things for the world and the kingdom of heaven. But he had this struggle. We don't know what it is, but he struggled with something. And he went to God three times. He pleaded, God, take this from me, that it should leave. But God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is from Paul. Like this guy had every opportunity to say, I am better than all of you. Because he did more than any other Christian in that time as reflected in the New Testament. But God said, no, my grace is sufficient. This kept him in a posture of vulnerability before God. In James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So what greater posture of vulnerability can one have than confessing one's sin to another Christian? When I've done that in the past, it was extremely hard. Um, so Pastor Steve and I go way back. Back when I was a young firebrand who thought I knew everything. Um, and uh, Pastor Steve, who's very gracious, uh, very humble, and who uh, was encouraging, uh, sent me and a team to go plant a church. Well, we were going to do it right. We were going to change the world. I was the biggest proponent of that. Extremely arrogant. I didn't realize that until much later, until years later. The church plant didn't work out. Um, we ended up uh, going to another church. Uh, and it was at that church that God uh, broke through 
the hurt and the nonsense and realize you need to go apologize for what you for your part in this. And so we had this big old binder of church planning stuff, and I asked Steve to meet up, and I apologized. I was very arrogant, was not right. And uh, so I had to confess that to Steve, which actually is really hard to confess to Steve because he's very gracious. So if you have to confess something, there you go. I'll give you his phone number after service. All right. Um, But uh, one thing that I know now is uh, Pastor Steve and I are linked. For whatever reason, God has us together, working together. Hence, we're back here. We're here. And there he is. So it's like I'm not going to fight it. God has a plan. So, John, so, yeah, James, confession to each other. Uh, finally, the scripture I want to look at, probably one of the most, for me personally, profound and powerful scriptures, Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. This is right after those who may or may not know. Um, Jesus... Uh, was not appreciated by the leadership of that day. In fact, they conspired to end his life. And this is, the, this is what happened right before that. So he went and had the, his last meal with his uh, closest friends and disciples. Um, and then after that, and this is where we get communion, because he performed the first communion. So he had the bread and the wine. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And he shared the bread and wine with everybody there. And we, we do it to this day, 2,000 years later, to remember what Christ did. Um, but before he actually went to the cross, he spent some time praying. And it reads, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. It's a garden. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, said to his closest friends, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This cup that he was talking about, it was a metaphor, was his crucifixion. He did not want to be crucified. He'd seen it happen before. It was common for prisoners or for thieves and murderers and things to be crucified by the Romans. It's a horrible way to die. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, his closest friends. And he said to Peter, so, did you not watch with me a one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is after Peter just said, I will never deny you. But he couldn't stay awake for an hour to pray with his friend. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, he said to them. And then again for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, this cannot pass unless I drink it. Your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. They were very tired. They had a big meal. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. So three times he went and said to God, if this can be taken away, 
I can't imagine. I mean, he, th this is Christ. This is Jesus Christ going before the Father, Father, being extremely vulnerable to the Father. If you can stop this, and if there's any other way, let's do it. But if we can't, then I'm going to trust in you, and we're going to move forward. And then, of course, soon after, um, the temple guards and Judas showed up, and he was arrested, and his friends ran away. So we've talked about weakness, sorrowfulness, being troubled, uh, meekness, humility. Uh, ultimately, we've been talking about vulnerability. And these scriptures do apply to us. We can look at them, and we can reflect upon them, and we can see how they apply to us personally today, 2,000 years later. I don't know about you, but I'm almost forced to ask, how can I achieve anything in this life and world with a posture of vulnerability? So you have even Jesus standing before God being vulnerable. Like, wow. So what am I, what am I supposed to do? What do I, what's my next step? Okay. Why does Jesus say we must humble to make it to heaven? Be humble. Why is God instructing Paul to lean into his weakness? And why is Jesus so vulnerable in the moments right before his ultimate purpose? This was his purpose, his call. We're always very concerned as the church, what's God calling me to do? This was Jesus' call. This is why he was born. So I, to be honest, I was a little confused. What is God trying to tell me? Well, whenever something like this happens, I step back and I think about the nature of God. I know that God is a God of order. He does a reason. He has a reason for what he does. He has a plan. I know God is perfect love. And I know God doesn't want his children, he doesn't want us to be confused so if you ever come across confused about something, it's not because God has made you confused. There's just something that you need to wrestle through, get to the end. And when there's clarity, that's a good thing. So God isn't making a situation that I can get confused in. What's happening is I'm creating a situation of confusion. Let me explain what I mean. So as I started thinking about the scriptures and asking for God to help me understand what he was trying to teach me, I started filling in gaps of my understanding with the ideas that I had received from the world. So things that I just took for granted, things that I thought I knew, I know this, started filling in these gaps and it wasn't making sense. So I, I know that I need to be an independent person stand for truth and righteousness and, 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 and go against the grain and be this kind of alpha person, right? As a Christian, we need to defend the faith. We need to overcome. We need to fight. We need to take the gospel to the masses, overcome the world, defeat the enemy. We have to do these powerful things, right? So that mentality was coming against what I'm reading in Scripture about vulnerability. This, this is not, this doesn't fit. Something's wrong. The more I thought about this, the more I began to reveal, God began to reveal to me that this is something that I do and that the church does a lot. We mix our understandings of the ways of God with our understanding the ways of the world. God says we are perfected in our weakness. The world says weakness is a failure. God says vulnerability is the path to success. It's the path to happiness. To be humble is to be happy. 
to inherit the kingdom of heaven. The world says you should be ashamed of, a, of vulnerability. The difference between what God says about vulnerability and what the world says about vulnerability is that when we are vulnerable, God will show up. He will show up. And he will do great things. We can trust in our Father that when we take a position of vulnerability, he will show up. The world cannot trust that. When they take up a position of vulnerability, they're crushed. And that seems so upside down to us. But it's not. We are upside down. And God is trying to get us to think right side up. To think righteously. To be like Jesus Christ is to be as upside down to the world. I think to better understand the point about being upside down, we need to investigate what the world says about vulnerability. First, the, as we've stated, as I stated before, vulnerability is weakness. The world will always say that. No, no, no. If you're vulnerable, you're weak. And you need to get that done. You need to get that out of your life. Because time and time again, you hear stories of people who had to claw and fight and pull their way up to the top. Uh, we even see this in the leaders we have in our culture, whether it be athletes, politicians, soldiers. You cannot be vulnerable in these really, really important times. We need strong leadership, right? I don't, we don't need vulnerable leadership. We need strong leadership. Other people in the world will say, I just don't do vulnerability. I just don't do it. I don't need it. Um, I'm this, so I don't need to be vulnerable. I'm whatever. Does it, I mean, list the things. I don't need it in my life. Um, it's not required for my job, for my call, for my whatever it may be. And all I want to say is, are you crazy? You are a human. You, you are so disconnected from who you are that you don't realize that vulnerability is part of our very existence. We come into this world vulnerable, right? And through protection from our parents, through training, through education, through, you know, then we finally get to a point where we don't need to be as vulnerable. We can have some vulnerability in certain, but even as adults, there are times of, there are times that require vulnerability because how are you going to have a relationship with anyone? Any type of meaningful relationship that could blossom into love or companionship or whatever. You, you can't if you're not vulnerable. If you don't do that, then you're not being a human. Uh, some people think vulnerability is just letting it all hang out. I'm sure we've all met those people that every time you meet them, they just got to share everything. Well, I'm just being vulnerable with you. You're exhausting me is what you're doing. Because every time we get together, it's blah all the time. And I, that sounds callous, but sometimes in order to really help people, you have to kind of put the mirror and say, look, this is not being vulnerable. This is you dominating the time. This is you actually not wanting to address the issue. Uh, also, um, there's this idea that we don't need vulnerability because we can just go it alone. Uh, here in Texas, we're rugged individualists, and I have no problem with that. But for you to think that you, from the time you were born to today, you've 
when it alone is another level of lying to yourself. Okay, you, you did not get here by yourself. All right. Um, and it's just basically living in a lie. So the world teaches we must destroy vulnerability in our lives. We must overcome the weakness and carve out courage from the bones of those we, ste we step on in order to achieve success. This is, and I'm not trying to be over the top here. This is a mentality. I mean, I saw it when I worked at Starbucks for 15 years. They were a little better, but you still saw it. It's kind of hard-charging, uber-human, super, we got a thing to do, it doesn't matter. Um, one of the things we were studying was the building of the Hoover Dam, which is this like unbelievable, it's this human achievement that's like, whoa, that happened during the Depression. And the guy who was in charge of building it had that mentality. And people died from it. We just got to get the job done, no matter what. 97 men died. Um, now, we have this amazing dam that powers California, you know, or whatever, but at the end, what did we really achieve? We tend to look over that. Well, that was, that was okay. It was only 96 people. That's what? Okay. That's the world. Acceptable losses. That's not the kingdom of heaven. Vulnerability is a poison, the world would say, that will stop you from being anything other than unsuccessful, simple-minded, and unworthy. And I just want to say the world is wrong. The world couldn't be more wrong. Far from being a shield of protection, the illusion of invulnerability undermines the very thing that would have provided protection. So if we take a position of invulnerability, then why do we even go to God? Because as Christians, when we are vulnerable, we press into God. For us brothers and sisters, that protection is the living God, as I said. So if we do it like the world, then this kind of, oh, well, maybe I should go pray about it now, is just just lip service. It's just lip service to God. And he's not looking for that. Sorry. I want everyone here to have a rich and full, complete relationship with God. And it will not happen with lip service. It just won't. You see, the world has a scarcity problem. And it thinks the answer to become is to become invulnerable. The scarcity problem is this. That whatever they do, they will never be enough. Never good enough. Never perfect enough. Never thin enough. Never powerful enough. Never successful enough. Never smart enough. Never safe enough. Never extraordinary enough. Our society, our world, has a shame-based fear of the ordinary and it's eating away at people's lives. The world says if you can't handle the pressure, if you can't parent well, you can't provide well, can't be happy, can't get over it, you know, it's been three years, why don't you just get over that loss? What's the deal? Gotta move on. If you can't be perfect, then get out. 
Get out of the way. That's the world. That's the message of the world. I look at the world, and it's like looking at insanity itself. A psychotic machine that chews people's emotions up with no care or thought. Take heart, God's beloved. There is hope for us, and there is hope for the world. My brothers and sisters, it is not only the world that has a scarcity problem. It is us as well. The church, the body of Christ, how have we gotten how have we gotten to this place where we have this scarcity problem? When we worship the one who created everything, who provides everything for us, every penny, everything. We have a scarcity problem. You see what I did there? The we always tend to think of lacking in in material ways. We don't think of lacking in spiritual or emotional ways. Our scarcity problem is an emotional scarcity. It's, the, it's, the, it's what we say in our minds when we're driving down the road. And if we're lucky enough, we can catch it. Sometimes it's just on autopilot. And I'll catch myself and I'll be like, what am I doing? And then you feel that shame. Man. And then it goes one of two ways. Your day is you can ignore it and try to deal with it, try to get over that, or it just affects you the whole day. You just kind of walk around with that shame feeling. Um, so how have we gotten vulnerability so wrong? Our inner dialogue consistently tells us we are lacking in qualities that would make us successful. This leads us to fear. It leads us to anger. It leads us to despair in our lives. In our brokenness, we try to overcome the fear and anger and despair by stomping out vulnerability. We think the vulnerability is the problem. If I was just stronger, if I was just better, right? So I'm not good enough. I'm not perfect enough. So if I could just do this a little bit more and get there, we're, we're, we're trying to get somewhere that actually leads nowhere. We need to step back, be vulnerable in the presence of our God, and press into that. So we're confused. We think that if we model ourselves after those the world says are successful, we will achieve some level of courage, happiness, peace of mind, but that is a lie. We should not model ourselves after people. Blindly, I should say. Because there's plenty of people that we can partner with, be discipled by, prayed for, encouraged by, and do that. In James, it, it encourages us to pray with each other, right? Elders come and pray for the sick. We are one. We are a community. And we need, to be, we need to be that to each other. Okay? Our hope is to model our hope and how we get out of this is we model ourselves after Jesus Christ. We must follow in the ways of his teachings and his actions as written in the scriptures and don't fall into the actions of a broken world. 
So let's take a moment and go back to Matthew 6. just want to point out, read again, um, when Jesus was praying the first time. Matthew 26. I can't remember if I said 6 or 26. My soul is, soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here, he tells his friends, and watch with me. So going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Okay, so he is struggling. Jesus was vulnerable towards the Father, more than he trusted in his own feelings of dread and what was the outcome of this vulnerability. So he pressed into the Father in this vulnerable time. He knew the characteristics of his Father. So what did he do? He trusted. He had faith. The Father was going to see him through this even though he probably felt the most alone he'd ever been. His friends, his closest friends, they, they kept falling asleep, and then they ran off. So he's alone, he's tried. The, the masses say, get him out of here, crucify him. Carries his cross, well, he's beaten, carries his cross to Golgotha, and then there they crucify him. <clears throat> Ultimately, he dies, right? They stab him in the side, dies. They take his body down, they put him in a tomb. This is horrible. But what does the father do? What did the father do? He rose him from the dead. He so Jesus, a few hours before, was begging to let this not happen. But he was faithful and he trusted. And then what happened? The father showed up. Jesus was sinless. He did not deserve death. So God said, he's not dead. We're going to raise him. And because of that, let's look. Matthew 28. So now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. So you're looking for this dead body. I know this, the angel says. He is not here, for he has risen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So he rose from the dead. The Father rose him from the dead. Jesus showed us the model. Be vulnerable before the Father. Trust in him. He will come through. Whatever the situation is, God will be there. To raise it from the dead, if need be. To show you insight. To bring you peace. I could go on and on and on of ways that he can meet the needs that we have. And then the angel says, okay, he's not here, he's gone. So you need to go tell the disciples who are hiding in their little room um, that Jesus wants them to meet them in Galilee. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, what's going on? But this is amazing. And they ran and told the disciples. Oh, I want to point out, because I like to point this out, women were the first to share the gospel. <laughs> So uh, we need to remember that because the gospel is not just Jesus died, right? 
the gospel is Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was risen by the Father. So they got to say it the first time. They probably weren't thinking that, or they may have said, hey, hey, put that in the Matthew, right? Matthew, write that in there. Uh, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid, because I'm sure they're freaking out. It was kind of their temperament to get really mad or really scared. That was kind of the disciples' temperament, and I, I think our temperament too, <laughs> a lot of times. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And you know some people, some of the disciples still doubted. What does that tell us about ourselves? Like, maybe God does answer this great, amazing miracle. Doesn't mean people are going to believe, you know. There's something going on in the deeper level within us. Okay, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, and this is what's amazing to me. So the Father rose Christ from the dead, making it possible for every person to raise from the dead. Like, we, will, we have an opportunity, all of us, to go to heaven, all of us to not fall victim to sin in our lives, all of us to not be like those things the world says we should be, Right? You need to be a hard-charging, take-no-prisoners type. Vulnerability, we don't do that because we're here to win, right? But God said, well, actually, you're here to be in my presence. Hey, guess what? I made a way that you can accept Christ, and because of what Christ did, now you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear death. But that wasn't it. Because God just doesn't fix the problem. He makes things better, right? So then he said, um, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So Jesus has all the authority in heaven and earth. Go, therefore. So he, he says, look it, I've got it. I'm in charge now. I'm your head. I'm your king. So now you, therefore, Make disciples of all nations. Go and tell them what you saw here. Go and tell them. How does that relate to us? We didn't see Jesus physically, but we had that moment of revelation. Jesus Christ is my Savior. God loves me. I will not die, but I will live forever, and I can now overcome any trial in my life. This is what the world does not have, but we do. It says, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the world, broken, misguided, the psychotic grinder of emotions, has nothing. Even if they make it, even if you become the guy who can build rockets to go to the earth, or go, go to the whatever, moon, who's so rich that he can take people up in his rocket ship and travel around the earth, that person's going to die someday. And it doesn't matter. They're like, oh, look in the history books. Yeah, that guy did that. Okay, whatever. That stuff means nothing. But with Christ, we live forever. So can you imagine, a few nights before, Jesus was begging to have the crucifixion, take, crucifixion taken from him. In his most vulnerable time, he trusted in the Father. He leaned into his vulnerability, trusted in the Father, and had the courage to overcome all his fear and anxiety in order to not only defeat death, 
to be our very hope for our own resurrections for the purpose of sending out, being examples to the world of how it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to be chewed up and spit out. The world is lying to you. We have this light that can bring you life. God raised Jesus from the dead, and he will do the same for each of us. Not only that, he has called us to go out into the world and be the light. Be the model of vulnerability that can lead to so much courage and hope, to something greater. Christ's vulnerability led to something greater, and so will ours. Lean into your vulnerability. Trust in the Father, and he will always be faithful to raise you up out of despair and make it possible for you to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. I just want to pray over everyone um, because I, I don't know, I just feel like God wants me to pray over everyone. Dear Heavenly Father, how, how, do, we, how do we live our lives from Sunday to Sunday, from hope to hope, from fear to fear? How, how is it that we are living our lives? Holy Spirit, we need your help. We need to go out from this place and be with you. And then we need to do the same thing on Monday and Tuesday, not because of a checklist or some legal system so we can pay you lip service. Holy Spirit, speak to each and every one of us how we can engage with you. How we can come before you in a spirit of vulnerability, a spirit of confession, a spirit of humility, not just lip service, but come to you and be changed from the inside because that is the problem. It is not the outward things that will change us. It's inward. It's the work of your Holy Spirit that you sent that will change us. It will change our hearts and our minds. God, I used to be the person that would pray for the great revival to come, and that's great, and I do hope that because I've read a lot about revivals, and they're pretty amazing. But I also see that our world is very different than it was 100 years ago, 60 years ago. The world needs to see people who are free, who have the light within us, who can model what it is to be like Jesus Christ. And so, if that's what we're called to do, I pray, God, we are faithful with it. That each and every one of us try not to be perfectionists, but just do what you asked, that first thing. And that's be before you. Humble ourselves before you, God. And then try the next thing. And then do the next thing. I pray, God, as we leave today that if there is somebody who uh, needs that relationship, that they will come to the leadership, come to someone in the congregation, let them know that we can help them through this process, that we are a church who wants to see Christ move in people's lives because it's, there's nothing like it. The world has nothing to offer compared to what we have to overcome just the really tumultuous and, and 
overwhelming situations of anxiety, of feelings of shame, feelings of lacking ability. These are not things that you give us. The enemy actually uses those things to attack us. So let's press into you, Father. I thank you, God, that we're here. I pray for Calvary. I pray for this neighborhood that we can come together, unified under the cause of Christ, under what Jesus has called us to, and uh, that we can love you and love ourselves, love each other. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Pastor Steve. Thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. If what you heard today impacted you, be sure to tell us about it. You can rate and subscribe to this podcast or contact us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram or our website, calvarylifedfw.com. Thank you so much and have a great week.